Hey, yo, internets. This portion of the Combat Jack Show is sponsored by Bevel, the premier shaving system designed for people with coarse curly hair and sensitive skin. This month, we have a very interesting program for you guys, man. Go to getbevel.com. Punch in the promo code FREEJACK, F-R-E-E-J-A-C-K. Once again, F-R-E-E-J-A-C-K. For first month free of purchases and services. That's right. Go to getbevel.com. Punch in promo code FREEJACK, F-R-E-E-J-A-C-K. For your first month free. Tell Bevel they sent you. Shave like a boss. And now back to the show. Yo, internets, you are tuned in to the Combat Jack Show, combatjackshow.com. Listen, Jonathan Mena, I've been giving him a lot of problems. I've been giving him a lot of bullshit, but you go to combatjackshow.com. The site is looking clean. Internets, it's looking clean. You know, King, how you doing, man? I'm good, brother. I'm here talking, I'm talking about this site, but I really haven't delved into it, man. Somebody, the, the internets have been telling me that the site is great. I just looked at it today. You know, I'm fucking up, but now it's time. Let's, let's promote the shit out it's of this. It's clean. Man. It's clean. You know, straight to the point. Yes. You know, people got the destination to get the shows and, you know, we rocking with L- it. Let me ask you something. It has, how far back does it have our ca- catalog? As, as far back as, as iTunes or? Well, right, currently it is the first, from the first episode of top of the year, but we got to start archiving. So we got to start. Yeah, we got to get. Uh, go back. Because 20, 2015 was a banner year. Right. It's okay. just it, like all of the internets. All of the shows are on SoundCloud and iTunes. Yes. But on the website, we, we just have a 2016. So, okay. you know, pretty soon as we populate it, you'll be able to go back and go to 2015, 14, and so on and so on. Populate. Yeah. How you doing, man? Good. How's life? Do say. Do say, yo, this episode is not sponsored by Do say, but it's sponsored by Do say because we got two Do say in this bitch. <laughs> Internets, listen, you've seen me on, on Twitter, you've seen me on, on Instagram. We have an upcoming live show, the Combat Jack Show Live. Ooh. April 22nd. Details come soon. I don't even know what the fuck we're doing. I'm scared shitless, B, because I don't have no agenda. Internet, what do you want to see at this live show? Don't give these, don't give these niggas, nah, don't give at, them no options. Nah, no, I want to see what they, what, what they, what they would want to see. But they, they're going to start hitting us we with might not this consider and that. This yeah, and, let them do it. Yo, tell them about the, the, the um, hotline bling uh, hotline. Yo, man, hit us up, 347, and I don't know the rest of the number. Look up on your phone. 2080. No, no, you got to do that over, man. <laughs> I can't remember. Yo, hit us up on the Combat Jack Show hotline bling. You know what I mean? You'll hear it throughout this broadcast. And let us know what's up, man. Let us know what's, what, how you feeling about pop culture. Internet spring is here. If you read Ebony Magazine, we want to know. Yes, we want to know. We want to know. What Internet's. you think about the, the four ladies that's on the, the new Ebony? Oh, man, we'll get to that. We'll get to Thickums. that. You know what? That shit, yo, black, uh, you know, black men appreciate um, healthy that was Women, we'll, we'll get into it. We'll get into it. Listen, straight almond milk. Listen, internets, we are in spring. <laughs> um, if you're in that situation, cuffing season is over. Yes, Say is. your goodbyes. Be respectful, ladies and gentlemen. And, and ladies, y'all is the biggest killers out here. Y- y'all want to play victim, but y'all is the biggest killers out here. Y'all, y'all, y'all got toned. Y'all was in Equinox all winter. Facts. Legs is looking toned. Stomach, the whole nine. Don't break your niggas' heart like that. Let them off gently. Give them a kiss. Give them a hug. Tell them, listen, winter's around the corner. If this shit goes well, we'll be back. Cuffing season is officially over. Word. Boom. Listen, let's jump into this, man. I am so happy when um, it's not just friends. 
It's, it's not just people that I've known for a long time, people that I've admired and people that I've seen, you know, climb up through the ranks through, you know, to, to, to hit the, 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 the highest levels. And there's so much more that they're going. But this one is so special because I've always, always, always respected her. Um, you know, history upon history upon history. And I've been amiss, uh, internets. You know, I fucked up. It's 2016 and it's, it's until now that I have our first woman guest on the Combat Jack show. We ended the Combat Jack show in 2015 with Wendy Williams and it's, it's been three fucking months. That's not good. That's not good, man. So let's, 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 let's jump into the celebration of Women's History Month. You know, internets, uh, it's, it's, it's with great joy that I welcome to the Combat Jack show, Ms. Kierna Mayo. Hello, everybody. Kierna. What's good, Reg? How you been? Brother. Full story. Full story. <laughs> I have been good. I have been high. I have been low. I have been challenged. Mm. I have been liberated. Mm. I have been empowered. I have been disempowered. Mm-hmm. I've been many things. And because I'm a black woman, I am many things. Mm-hmm. At all times. But look at you. you uh, that's a lot of I have been. But look how great you look. Mm-hmm. look I, t- at, I receive it. You look at you like like like. And the thing about our generation, the thing about our generation is we're so equipped to take all that shit and still rise and crush. Yes. You know, I'm sure. Yes. I'm sure that whatever forces are amiss, particularly negative forces that um, you're so intimidating. You said well, our like, generation. She looking like she's 25. That's what I'm talking about. So, <laughs> our generation, right? Yes. You know, um, and that's something that, as a woman, when you say our generation, I mean, have you revealed to the folks what, what that means? Do, do they understand it in numbers or do they just understand in well, vibration? Well, let's get to it. And you've been in the publishing industry mm-hmm, for, for, for 20 plus years. E- oh, easily. 20 plus years. You've seen, you've seen a lot of transition. Not only have you seen a lot of transition, you've started transition yes. seismic shifts yes. in the publishing game still yes you know and and you know sometimes when you're in you you're about the business of change you don't always recognize that that's what's happening mm-hmm. sometimes mm-hmm. the work in and of itself is the change and then when it manifests and when it ripple has that ripple effect out into the world you start to understand the magnitude but in the process it's just the art right it's the consistency right. it's the determination it's the it's what you stand on you know, and and a lot of what I am today, I have to say, was what I've always been. Mm-hmm. It's just a better, sharper, crisper version. Yes. So um, I do think we're looking better. I have a little tag on my wall that says looking better at 45 than mm-hmm. 25. Mm-hmm. And in a lot of respects, that's very real. You know, I go back to some of my 25-year-old shots and I'm like, the F was I wearing? And okay. today, I don't say that. Right, right, yes. right. So that's, that's the finishing thought. Let's jump into your history. Okay. First and foremost, you're, you're a fellow Brooklynite, right? I am. What Born part? and raised. What part? Born and raised. I live in Crown Heights. My yes. family home is Crown, in Crown mm-hmm. Heights, as you know. Yes. Um, I, but because I was born in Brooklyn, I've lived in multiple places. Mm-hmm. I was born in Williamsburg. I grew really? up in Flatbush. Oh. I, yeah, I lived in Lindsay Park, right mm. around the corner from Marcy, and was there for the first 10, 11 years, then moved to Flatbush. Then moved to Crown Heights. And then when I left for college, came back, moved to Clinton Hill, Fort Greene, finally came back to my family home in Crown Heights. Isn't Crown Heights great? It's the best. You know, that's where I was born and raised. Yes, I do know that. I love Crown Heights. Yes. 
What do you feel? What are your thoughts since, especially since you've lived in so many different iconic neighborhoods yeah. of Brooklyn? What do you What are your thoughts on gentrification? Well, I was just telling another person who had asked me that same question that I really do feel like white folks, in a lot of ways, are having their very Columbus moment where mm-hmm. they've kind of discovered something, but mm-hmm. they don't realize that they've also landed on people's backs. Yes, and so there is a sense of surreal. You know, you hear a lot of folks kind of trying to unpack gentrification, but when you're living it and you're watching it in real time. You don't know how you feel. Right. A lot of times you can't really articulate what it is. I'm like, sometimes I feel like I'm looking from Mars because mm-hmm. my perspective is, I remember when Big was out and my whole thing was like, I was down with Brooklyn before Big made it cool. And now we're 20 years post Big, mm-hmm. you know, so it's, crazy. it's crazy. crazy. It's crazy. It's funny, man. They they open up this bar up the block from where I live on Notion Avenue called the Notion Wait, Pub. time out. First of all. Bar on Nostrand Avenue that wasn't owned by like. Listen, I used yo in the seventies. I would stay the fuck away from Nostrand oh, Avenue in the eighties. Nostrand Avenue didn't even Half exist in the 90s. to me. Come on, yeah. Now I see skateboards and, yeah, yeah. and but anyway, they opened up this bar, uh, Nostrand Pub, mm-hmm. on 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 Nostrand. I know it. Mm-hmm. And have you? Do you go there? I've not been there. Listen, I went in there one time, Karen, because it's like virtually like a thousand, like fifteen hundred steps from my home. I walked in that bitch. I didn't even feel welcome. No, I, there's a white girl mm. hair salon on like Nostrand and Park. Or something. Yeah, like, yeah. It, I'm like, that happens? Right, I right. didn't even know that could happen. Right. And hair is a specific thing. Yes, like, yes, no, yes. you're not welcome. Right, right. That's a very real right. thing when you walk in. You don't have to ask. You know. Exactly. Yeah. That's crazy. So growing up in Brooklyn, what yes. did your parents do? My mother. Oh, so you really are going there. My mom. Uh, we're worked. here. Yeah, we're here. We're here. And, and this is what I came to do. My mother worked for the city of New York her entire life. She was a probation officer. Mm. Uh, started out actually in the welfare department. Always had a love of the people. Always had a specific kind of affinity for young brothers, I mm-hmm. think. And, of course, the Reagan 80s mm-hmm. um, meant that there were shitloads of black men, boys, coming through the probation department. And in those years, I remember we'd be places. We'd see all kinds of activity on buses on trains in alleys and folks would say like miss mayo is that you and i said my little petite five foot two mother has thug life on lock Mm. but the relationship between black women and the children that they love um sometimes can't be confined to the limitations of work so what i learned from my mother's years in probation was that you can be a lover of the people from wherever you are And that when you really do care about the folks who you are there to serve, they identify that wherever they are. Right. So that's what my mother's story was. My father um, had a shop, a leather shop in the village my entire life. Really? Yes. He he was a sole proprietor, an entrepreneur, never made as much money as my mother, which tells you something because my mother was a city employee. Mm -hmm. Um, But my father is an was and is an artist. Mm -hmm. And my mother is too, but my father very specifically knew very young in his life and career that he couldn't work for the white man. He Mm -hmm. just really couldn't. Um, And it's not that his politics were so refined, but his sense of self and his identity was so defined that he just couldn't find a way for someone who was truly, truly a Renaissance man. I mean... He gives life to it. My father roller skates. He plays full court basketball. He paints. He builds homes, like literally built an extension to my mother's house with his hands. Mm. My dad is one of those kinds of, if you know, if we were 
on the continent in the bush somewhere, he'd be the brother sitting under the tree making a mansion out of a branch. Mm-hmm. He's just got that kind he's of... He's a creator. He's an absolute creator. Um, so my And my mother is too, right. but of course, somebody had to help us survive, right. you know? So uh, working for yourself, even though it always sounds good, and his life in the village um, and leather crafting brought a lot of very, very interesting people into our lives. I mean, I'm in the third grade, and my father comes home with a Polaroid with him and Michael Jackson. Mm. So, I mean, like, really, because the village is what it is. Right. Um, or was, was what it was. Well, the village was what it was, yes. exactly. Um, but all that said, working for yourself, you know, particularly as a as a brother in his case in America and throughout those years often left him struggling to make the art a commodity. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes it wasn't. So, um, but the value and the intrinsic wealth that came from having an artist's home and people who love the people around me definitely shaped who I was and am. So you get your fashion sense from your dad? So I get my fashion sense from my mom. Wow, okay. My mother's a badass. Really? <laughs> yeah, she's, okay. she's in her 70s today, and if she walked in here, everybody would be like, who that? Like, she's very together. Right, and they've been together for 50-plus years. 51 years. Wow, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. That's stability. It is. My husband's parents have been together 51 years as well. Wow. So we really do come from right over 100 years of black connection. That's stability. That's also um, truth right. in action, right? So relationships are very complicated, yes. um, very layered um, and seasonal. Mm-hmm. So year 12 isn't what year 24 is. Right. And year 24 isn't what year 36 is. And children watch that. Mm-hmm. And so it's given me more than this kind of romantic notion of love and commitment, a very practical understanding of partnership and perseverance. This marriage shit is hard. The marriage shit is hard. <laughs> I mean, committing, like bearing your soul, like having a witness mm-hmm. to your everything mm-hmm. is like some real shit. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, you grew up, your family was uh, politically conscious? My family was... Um, See, that's rap, that... Rap, emotionally that, conscious. Right, right. Emotionally conscious. Uh, my family, so, so politics begs for language and I don't think we always had language Mm -hmm. but we always had spirits and we always had connectedness and we always had self-worth I talk about my mother as someone who would literally color in every single card I ever got from my mother from age one to 14 had some brown magic marker Mm -hmm. coloring in the figures so that I could see black girl magic happening for me when every card featured young white women and yes. young white girls. Yes. So so that's where the politics come in comes in. It's not exactly stated, but it's lived. Right. What are your earliest memories of magazines in your home? Um wow, because I, my entire life has been surrounded by magazines. Right. Uh, even today there's still magazines because I'm in my family home, so I still have magazines that my mother had when I was Five. Wow. Yeah. So, so you know, everything from Life to Ebony to Vogue to Harper's Bazaar, lots of old Harper's Bazaars. Um, I used to collect, of course, write-ons and mm-hmm. teen magazines. and Word Up. Um, and Word Up. Um, and, and what was the little magazine? What was the little? Jet. Jet. No, 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 oh. no. Educational magazine. Sunlight, sun... Oh, damn it. 
because I can see it so clearly because I, I received it as a magazine. And right. like pictures and words. and But it was an educational piece that my mother was on. My mother's a smart girl. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so she was always finding ways to kind of craft how I received information right. and where I received it from. But the other thing was I kind of got turned on to magazines in another way when I was a young teen because I was tall and thin, lanky, and it was not easy for a black girl to be. And my mother would put these magazines in front of me and say, you look just like Iman. What are you complaining mm, about? Right. And she would use these examples of these models to say, stop self-hating. Empower um, yourself. Which is so ironic because whoever imagines that anyone tall and thin ever has body issues. Right. But when you're a young black girl and that's your description, of course you do. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, I've gracefully come into it today. Right. Yeah. What was your earliest aspirations? What do you want to be? Uh, Susan Taylor. You want to be yeah. Susan Taylor. Mm-hmm. So you followed your passion. Absolutely. Like from, from early on. Mm-hmm. Wow. Um, but I didn't think I had any other options because right. I didn't see myself as good at anything other than like dressing well and loving black girls and reading and writing. Mm-hmm. So those were my things. Right. And even as late as when I graduated from Hampton, those were still my things. So I couldn't imagine a world outside of magazines, really. Once right. I had understood that people actually shape these things, I was on a mission to get there. I didn't know how. That was not something that my parents could give me. Right. It wasn't like, apply for the internship at Condé Nast. No, right. That never happened. Right. So my... My path to magazines was very unorthodox, Mm -hmm. but my passion for magazines has been really artful and consistent. You know how fortunate you are to have followed your path from such an early age? That's a very rare thing. Yes, yes. Um, Again, I didn't know that I was fortunate. I just only knew what I knew. Right. So I I was devastated when I didn't get the Essence internship when Mm -hmm. I graduated from Hampton and was like, why did I go to college? Right. Because there's no place for me to work, and this was a stupid experiment. Okay. So, you know, I was just, and there was no place else to go. I, I mentioned Essence because, of course, everything in its proper time context. If you're a young, aspiring editor today, well, first of all, you're probably not thinking about magazines. You're probably thinking about other spaces. Right. But if you're a young black editor, male or female, you probably are looking at a landscape that includes more than black media. When I was looking at becoming a professional and not just looking at models for inspiration, all models for inspiration, I realized that there were no black women working anywhere else but Essence. Right. So I didn't see anything else as an option. But, but Essence. Right. And then, of course, you weren't, you didn't have Lupita on the cover of Glamour mm-hmm. in 1987 right. either. Right. So there was no example, there was no reason for me to lust after the white girl books, because there was no space for me there, they made it perfectly clear. Not in the pages, not in the in on the masthead. Nowhere. Let's go back. Mm-hmm. Um, high school. Mm-hmm. Where'd you go to high school? I went to Murray Bertram High Murray School Bertram. for business careers. Mm-hmm. How magical was Mary Bertram at the time? Oh, my goodness. So magical. And we knew it, too. That was one time of life that I can say... I had a bird's eye view of even while it was unfolding, I knew that this wasn't normal. Um, so you know, Reggie, of course, that I, I went to school with a Tribe Called Quest. The entire Tribe Called the Quest. The entire, well. Was Jerobi in the no, picture? Jer- well, yeah, well, Jerobi, <laughs> the entire Tribe Called Quest was always in the picture. They right. did not all go to Bertram. Okay. Um, right, just just Tip and, um, and um, Ali went to Bertram. How were they in, in high school? Uh, Ali used to carry this, like, fresh-ass Louis Vuitton 
fold over um that all the girls were like, what? <laughs> so he was super sophisticated right. and quiet and like Muslim. The same, the same. Like, like he was Ali right. Shaheed. Right. That's who he was. Ali Shaheed. Yes. <laughs> um, Tiff, on the other hand, was Jonathan mm-hmm. and um, quite eclectic. You know, he was stylish also. And so, again, time context, you're talking about late 80s. And he was awkward in some ways, but very, very soulful right. like in the same ways that q-tip is q-tip right. he was just and extremely soulful in his expression i remember he used to wear tams and wide ridge cords and just like mature shit right and everybody was like who's that and he i was a sophomore when i met him and no i was a junior and he was a sophomore so he was a year behind me. right and you know my whole crew was like who's the young kid turns out we were all the same age yeah this was your crew yeah. This was your crew. Yes. Yeah. So wow. did they talk about? Yeah. And it wasn't just tribe. You who, know. who else? The Jungle Brothers went to. Jungle Brothers went yeah, to. The Jungle okay. Brothers went to Bertram too. Okay. And um, so, of course, that was Africa. And um, yeah, the Jungle Brothers were my boys. Right. Um, but also, uh, what's my man's name? Damn. That's what it is. You got to remember now because he's going to okay, be mad. No, no, no. I must. <laughs> We're going to circle back. Okay. We're going to circle back. Right, right. We're going to circle back. We're going to circle back. Right. So you're in this you're in this environment in high school which is already a magical yeah. um formative time. Yes. And they and these kids were not the only like there was just it was hip hop. It was the 80s. You went to hip hop high. You went to hip hop high. Hip hop high exactly. Right. So would you see like a young Busta maybe? Um or? yeah. You would see wow. young Taheem. Taheem, you would see um, a lot of what the early formation would be of Native Tongues. Right. And, I mean, some of them lasted and some of them didn't, but that entire kind of identity came to fore right before my eyes. Right. Might have even been influenced by me in some ways. Because How we, so? Well, my crew, again, we were seniors right. and we were girls. Right. And we were leaders, mm-hmm. culturally, I'm mm-hmm. talking about. Um, Did your crew have a name? Yeah, Akka Joe. Because Akka Joe, long story, but yeah, Akka Joe was our name. Give us the long story. Well, we got time. Style, right? Okay. So that was a big thing. We were all wearing like Mickey Mouse and Coca Cola. Was Coca Cola right, right. crazy? Coca Cola. <laughs> but that was after Benetton, and right. we were downtown here, right? In the financial district, there was a big Benetton shop here, mm-hmm. and so we were turned out on a lot of preppy mm-hmm. meets, urban. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think everybody was kind of turned on preppy, right? We everybody was turned on preppy slash like, I was urban. Out, like, yeah, we were doing a lot of crazy shit to mm-hmm. be. To Which be the kids wish they could do. They're yes, trying to do they're it They're right, trying to do it now. They're going back it's right so now. It's so cute. Right. It's so cute. It's so, so cute. So going back, like, yes. when 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 your crew mm-hmm. or when the, 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 the year behind you, successive year, when they were talking about their aspirations, did it seem real to you? Did you know it would happen? Or you like, oh, this is high school talk. Because you talk about trying to get into essence. Yeah. And knowing that you knew what you wanted, but it wasn't yet possible. Right. So hearing these young brothers talk about their aspirations, was it possible to you that they were going to do what they did? No, the Jungle Brothers was ripping the talent show. They were doing right. what they needed to. Like, it wasn't in our imagination. They, they Anybody who said they were an MC was an MC. Right. Anybody who said he was a producer was producing. Right. So they were in action already, even before... These things, and you know, in my crew, we were dancers right. as well as like Wait, style you girls. You were a dancer, yeah. Okay, so we were dancing to like G rap, and we were just—it was all hip. Everything was hip hop. Right. Everything, everything, everything right. was hip hop. Right, right, right. So when I left to go to Hampton, ironically, I really felt 
very much like a New York sophisticated. I couldn't get, I was very snobby because I, high school, I was in the club since I was 13, 14 years old. Mm. What clubs were you in at 13, oh, 14 years old? Well, but, but everyone was 13 and 14. Right. I mean, we were sneaking in. All kinds, Union roof, Square. We, were, we killed our own Union Square, of course. What? We were dancers, yes. What? So Union Square, but before that, LQ, Latin Quarter. What? Yeah. So and then you know, and then when House was on the scene, we were the House heads and hip hop heads. Those things existed. Wait, let me find like, out. You was at the Paradise Garage as a kid. You were at the Paradise Garage. How did I not know you? How did I not know you? From the Paradise Garage, that, you must have. You just didn't know you knew me. Man, it was that. I, it was that mess. I was on that mescaline. Yes, yeah, I guess you were. If you were drinking, if you were drinking the juice. Yeah, no, no, no. Uh, I was specifically on that mescaline. Okay. okay. <laughs> yeah, we were young and kind of innocent, yes. but dancers. So dancing also led you into worlds, mm-hmm. and of course, everything was a bit more innocent then. We were less exposed in some ways and more in- exposed in others. Right. So It was to, a dire time in New York. It was a so dire time in New York. We were exposed to a lot of the ugly side yes. of, of humanity. Yes. But I mean, the, you're stepping over crack vials mm-hmm. and actually outside of the garage was the first time I ever saw someone killed. Really? Yes, like I literally What happened? He got shot and fell to in the ground. In front of the garage? And died. What year was that? That was late. I was late because my my garage one my garage run was like eighty four yeah. eighty six but then eighty seven was this, when it got really this must have been eighty six seven right. eight yeah going right before it closed right before it closed damn right before it closed I well, never the streets they, were what they were right. and it was like five o'clock in the morning because yeah. that's when you come out of the G right and. Oh, you were early, bro. I used to come out at 10. Okay, well, there. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yes, Reggie. Um, what led you to Hampton? I don't think I got into any place else. Really? Yeah. I was kind of like a loser student type who was extremely worldly, sophisticated, intellectual, and popular. School was boring. School was a place to talk to other fresh kids. Right. So what was your experience like at Hampton? At first, it took me a long time to adjust to people who weren't coming out of the garage. Right. It was a whole thing. And I didn't realize that the whole world wasn't like me. So, you know, the irony is that you think of yourself as a New Yorker as being super, super worldly, like I said, and exposed. But I really didn't know anything but New York. So because that was my measurement, when I left my boundaries... It was jarring. I mean, the first year I was just completely depressed. I barely yes. went to class. I just could not make it make sense. Right. I couldn't. And then everybody speaking. Hey, hi. How are you? And, and the you're New not Yorker, getting the music and the, the culture the, and the uh, nourishment. Of, none of that. And I mean, you know, you don't know the difference between the Puerto Rican and the Mexican. Like, you don't know nothing I know. Right. But at the same time, it was one of the most transformative experiences of my life. It was so humbling. I mean, by the time I graduated, I was speaking to everyone. You know, mm-hmm. I then I appreciated Southern values that I came to school with no respect for. And I left fully embracing and still hold on to some of that today. Right. Just that basic humanity, that simple kind of recognition of one human being sees another. Those are the things that I try to hold on to today. I try to leave the style piece from Hampton behind, but yeah. but all <laughs> the rest I take with me. How'd you end up at the source? I didn't get the internship at Essence. Right. And I had a whole which is, which is such 
that 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 that's you're so fortunate that you didn't get that. Oh my God! Like my whole life would have been different. Right. Yes, I'm so fortunate that it didn't work out for me. I had a homegirl who I met maybe senior year, and it was one of those times of life when you're a senior in college. You're like, I'm grown. I'll never meet new friends. Who needs new friends? I already got who I'm. Because you know so much right. at, at 21, 22. So much. Mm-hmm. And I was actually young. I was 20, 21. I came right. out of school at 21, but I went into my senior year at 20. And anyway, long story short, I don't get the internship, which I didn't deserve. Right. Were I, you heartbroken? Yeah. Okay. Not only heartbroken, I was literally like, this was a failed experiment. I'm a failure. I'm fucked up. I have no aspirations, no goals. Don't ask me about my dreams because I have none. So that's, it was all of that. And it was also time for me to get out of Hampton. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I, I hadn't, I wish college happened now. Right. Because as a student, I I missed a lot. Just in terms of the formality. Um, again, because of the disconnect for me. I always felt like the, I was smarter than the professors. I was smart. I wasn't. Right. I just was different. Yeah, than I, you had attitude. You had, I had you attitude. Had, you had swag. And they didn't recognize my right. swag. Right. So that unrecognized swag, after the high of high school, I was like, you folks are You didn't get the attention that you were. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And I wasn't light-skinned, and I wasn't uh, a lot of things right. that mattered mm. at Hampton that in New York. I could trade on my natural hair right. and I could trade on my dance skills and I could trade on these things. And at Hampton, I couldn't. So I was paralyzed by that. And I didn't know what it meant. And I was like, and you're whack? Right. And yeah, my, yeah, my entire environment. Everything know, I knew was upside down. Um, I had that same experience when I went, when I went to Georgetown Law. Mm-hmm. You know, Greenwich Village. Mm-hmm. Um, Hip hop is, is crazy yeah. and popping and... Paradise Garage, and I go down to D.C., and D.C. was very quaint yes. back in it. Like, they were the only fucking hip-hop they were playing was Dougie Fresh mm-hmm. and Cool Mo D. That mm-hmm. was it. Mm-hmm. So I was so depressed. Mm-hmm. I was like, wait, y'all niggas don't recognize mm-hmm. my flyness? Mm-hmm. I'm a god, and mm-hmm. y'all, yo, and, but I had to, hum- it, hum- it was very humbling. It's very humbling, yes. And, and you learn. And it refines, exactly. Yeah. It refines you in certain ways. So anyway, back to getting to the source. So getting to the source. So I don't have the internship and graduation is upon us. And I have a homegirl who's like, I have a friend from D.C. You know, she's from D.C. Mm-hmm. At the time, I thought D.C. was the South. It is um, the South. <laughs> D.C. And this is no shots. No shots Uh-oh. to the internets from D.C. But None. What, what I learned okay. when I went down to D.C., I thought going down to D.C., I was leaving a big city mm-hmm. and going to a small city. Mm-hmm. What I learned is that D.C. is not a small city. It's a big ass town. Right. Mm. That's a better way to frame it. Right. Yeah. So anyway, especially with regard to black folks. Yeah. Anyway, but I don't you know, I don't want to offend my constituents from D.C. Right. So anyway, <laughs> so my girl was like, I have a friend and he's starting this. I think he just started this rap magazine. I don't know, girl. I know him from high school. And long story short, she tells me about what would be the source. Right. Um, call him. His name is Dave Mays. Just call him. Wow. Yeah. Did she say he's a white boy? Yes. Okay. She says he's a white boy. And I was like, it's hip hop? He's a white boy? Huh? Because that didn't exist. I said, girl, then. wait, it's a magazine? Right. Like pages? Right. Give me his number. Right. So I get to New York. I come home. I go to meet Dave. He's Dave. Mm-hmm. Um, they're oh. not looking for editors, by the way. Right. He's like, I need an assistant. Right. You could get my Pepsi. Right. 
Internets, this portion of the Combat Jack Show is sponsored by Bevel, the premier shaving system for people with coarse curly hair and sensitive skin. Listen, I wouldn't know anything about it, but I do know that cuffing season is, a, is, is over. It's done. It's done. This is non-cuffing season. I'm sure there's a um, Harriet Tubman out there that's trying to free all you people that's chained up right now in these relationships that were supposed to last throughout the winter, but now it's spring. And the flowers are blooming. And there's more flowers out there. And there's sundresses. And there's beards out there, ladies. There's beards out there. So listen, if you want to be part of this uncuffed movement, shave up, my dudes. Shave up. Clean up. Because them sundresses might be looking at you, man. And you might get it. But if your shit is just a little... <laughs> you might lose that shit. And ladies, if you're interested in one of these new beards out there, get them a bevel. And this is a special promo for this month. You punch in the promo code FREEJACK, F-R-E-E-J-A-C-K, for your first month of Bevel for free. So go to GetBevel.com, punch in the promo code FREEJACK, F-R-E-E-J-A-C-K. Get your first month free. Stop fucking around. It's uncuffing season. Be free. Be free. Be free. And now back to the show. What was your first impression of Dave? Like first, because I was confused. I didn't reconcile white and hip hop at right. that time, so all of that was very confusing right, for me. Right. And then when you add Jewish and and Harvard and the other factors, I really was a little thrown off. But in actually interacting with him, I felt a certain level of um, kind of hip hop authenticity. What I would grow to learn in that following year about the currency of hip hop and how. It grabs souls mm-hmm. and how it snatches you up, and mm-hmm. it's not race specific in that way. The tentacles of hip hop yeah. are not discriminatory. Yes, exactly, right. exactly. So, over the next year, I would come to understand that in a very aggressive and quick way right. because the source was filled with white boys right. from time to time. Right. You know what? What year was this? This is ninety one. Okay, so this is already after they had transitioned from a newsletter. They're not. They're no longer a newsletter, but it may have been like the second national issue. Okay, maybe third. It's still very early on. Who was on the cover of when you first got there? When I walked in, I think I remember that. Or let's say when you walked in, what was the following cover that that you were affiliated with? Oh gosh. I know. I know. That's a tough one. Was it? Le- Tifa. I remember that cover. With the colorful like, uh-huh, crown. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Kent, Kente, Kente crown. Yeah, it might have been Latifah. Right. It might have been Latifah. What was the environment of the source back oh, then? Oh, goodness. Um, so, so we're pre the real world. Like, so we're the first real world before the real world mm-hmm, happens, mm-hmm. really. Because you're talking about a, 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 a intersectional kind of space in that. There are multiple boys and girls, mm-hmm. white and black, mm-hmm. Hampton and Harvard. Mm-hmm. I mean, there are many like poles that are coming together in this space. And we're really talking it out. We're debating right. it out. That whole source mind squad thing, that comes from a very real space. Right. We were theorists right. before we were anything else. So when you get there, you realize, oh, shit, I didn't get to essence, but this is where I need to be. What? In two days. Two days. I was like, and so... You knew it was magic. Oh, I in, in two days. Right. In two days. Who was there when you got there? Tell, tell us who were, who was on the Mind Squad back then. Tulo. Mm-hmm. Rob. Rob Tulo. Um, Who's now at, App, at, at, at Apple Beats from, Apple you know, from Shady. Beats, right. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, re- Maddie C. Maddie C. What up, Maddie? What up, Maddie C. 
Wilder, Chris Wilder, Chris Wilder, all my boys. Like um, who else? Like like who else? James Bernard, James Bernard, uh, Jonathan Schechter, John Schechter, wow. the legendary Dream Hampton, Dream Hampton. Um, was Bones around? Bones was around. So Bones was never a staff. Well, I can't say never because I don't know what happened after I left. But right. he wasn't a staffer. So the source was a family. You asked what we were kind of right. energetically. Right. Because we were pre-real world, real world, it was just a hub. So there were some of us who were on staff. But there were more people who were part of the Mind Squad right. who weren't on staff right. than those of us who were. And right. Bones is certainly one of those. Right, right, right. Yeah. Um, You know, from the outside looking in, mm-hmm. it seems like the makeup of the staffers at the source was really diverse. It was. And and when I look It was back, accidental, I would say. Really? Mm-hmm. It wasn't intentional. It was organic. It was organic. It wasn't intentional. You know, I mean, I can't speak to what James, Dave, and Jonathan stated. Like, I don't know what their stated purpose right. was when they came together right. and how this kind of unfolded, you know, in the two years before I get to this teeny tiny office downtown in in um, Soho at the source. But I know that what happened, the experiment becomes very organic. Mm-hmm. And what happens in those first two, three, four years is legendary purely because it's organic. Right. It's happening in real time right. every single day. No day is like the day before. Right. So you guys would argue about authenticity mm-hmm. and what hip-hop really meant. Mm-hmm. And if this, even though they're rapping and there's beats, this is not really hip-hop. Like, you guys really argued about. Oh, yeah. What's some What's some of your memories? Of, what arguments did you have? Like, if you can tell me an argument. Um, well, I, you know, one thing that stands out to me and that was kind of revolutionary for me in terms of my thinking was the dissection of politics as it relates to Hip hop, like so, understanding hip hop as a culture was not something that I was speaking before mm-hmm. I got to the source. It was something that I was living. Something that you did. Something that I did. Something that you were a I got product of. Exactly. Right. So when I understood that we could kind of theoretically unpack this, and again, that's just happening because of theory. So. Does TLC deserve to be on the cover of the source? Mm. So you're the girl now. So Dream's gone. So I'm the girl, quote unquote. Right. And so the question is, mm-hmm. in those early days when hip hop is beginning to be exported, what is authentic? Right. What remains, you know, so we're coming out of like, we're still backpackers for the most part. Mm-hmm. Still very New York centric kind of. Everybody is measuring people's like realness. Mm-hmm. We, I don't think we were really speaking of it in those terms. But we, yeah, we were. Yeah, we were. Yeah, yeah, we that, were. That, that yeah, we were. Real. Yeah, we were. That yeah, shit we ain't were. real. Yeah, exactly. Keep it real, son. Yeah, yeah. So, what was I saying? Just in terms of like one of some some of what what early arguments like TLC. Okay. And- yeah. So that so that was a big thing. So when I did the first cover of TLC mm-hmm. in their life. Um, I was 22, maybe, right. and they were 22. Right. Maybe we were all the same age. And I go down to Atlanta to cover their first album. And, you know, there's a real question mark as to whether or not this is hip-hop. And you're in Atlanta. Hip-hop I, is not in Atlanta. Exactly. So right. they, they, they are breaching every rule that hip-hop had. Right. Every convention. Every convention. Right. Because every back convention. then we were all rap conservatives. Yes. Like. Absolutely. Right. Um, and there was no latitude. Either you fit in the box or you did not, and therefore you were not. Right. 
But what was burgeoning in me and uh, what Dream and I had begun to really work out the kinks of in those early source days was hip-hop feminism, what mm. it looks like in right. practice, in action, how necessary it is for us to embrace every female moment happening in these hip-hop streets in the early 90s, late 80s. Um, we, it's, it's important for us to recognize one another and tell one another's stories, whether or not the boys co-sign or not. So this was my very daring attempt to bring something very, very new and different to the pages of the source, and I was completely trampled for it. Really? It was, oh my God. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right. Um, what was your relationship like with Dream? Because you, mm. you talk about, it was, it's a very formative time because yeah. that's when, you know, hip-hop went from this very pure, not necessarily, you know, idyllic, but it went from this pure yeah. kind of, you know, music, art form, and then you start, you know, we, we, we get introduced to like gangster rap and then we start really seeing the misogynistic yeah. aspects of hip hop at the time. What, what was your relationship like with Dream within the bullpen of mm -hmm. this majority male staff at the source? And then with, the, you know, the, you know, the, the, the emergence of like misogyny in hip hop. I would argue it was always there, but right. that it wasn't as brutal yes and at the level that it would grow into um well wow that's a great question i guess the first thing i remember is that she received me mm -hmm. so we were both we call ourselves ball-headed mm -hmm. we were both like i had a caesar and she had a caesar right. so when i walk in and she's got a caesar and i've got a caesar then they're immediately either we're fucking with each other or we're not it's only those right. two things right right and she immediately kind of embraced me like literally physically embraced me and then just metaphorically embraced me in every way. And she was looking for an ally right. without even knowing it. Just being there meant making sometimes single arguments that other people didn't share. Um, I, and so Dream's early work was very formative for me. Uh, supporting, so she was like a mentor in a sense, early she, mentor. She was, a, I wouldn't define it as a mentor, but I would say because we were, we were age peers, so you don't really look at someone who's right. the exact same age as you in a mentor kind of way. But I felt her freedom mm. and I felt her freedom in a hip hop context. And um, I was instructed by her feminism. Absolutely. Mm. Um, and so we both shared a massive love of the people. We were just very, very hardcore black people lovers. And we absolutely had that in common. And we were both girls, girls just walking in the door. Right. So, um, I, you know, I'm never that girl who's like, I don't mess with chicks because blah, 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 right, blah, blah. Right. You know, so I've never been that. She's never been that. So when we met, there was some magic that just kind of happened in part because that was meant in part because there was a necessity there right. in at the walls of the source and within the walls of the source. What were this, the discussions like with regard to like giving an album five mics? Hmm. Was there was there and let me let me rephrase that. Well, let me add to that. Was there an internal no five mics policy? Yes. Yeah. Pretty Let's much. Explain that. Wait, wait, hold on, hold on, hold on. Internet. Yeah, please. Internet. Where y'all at? Help me out, somebody. Millennials, listen, y'all don't understand. Let me, let me, let me, let me, let me, let me give you the, the context. Help them. So in 1991, the Source magazine 
was the Bible. You hear that, but I got to tell you this again. It was the Bible. It was the only publication that really addressed hip hop in a very clear um, and like we said, real, it was authentic, right? You know, like how we talk about whether shit is real, that shit was real. Well, not only the only, like there was nothing else. There was so nothing like it. Wasn't it wasn't like, the, yeah. There it wasn't was, like a teeny bopper. No, right. Fanzine. So other than, like, right. So beyond, like right on in that generation right. of, of rag mags. Right. This was a serious publication. It was, it was we, intellectual. This was absolutely. Intellectual. Yes. Fly. Yeah. Like. Dope. It was yes. dope. I can't even. It was shit. Was dope. Yeah. And the five mic ratings. Y'all motherfuckers don't care about that shit right now. But the five mics ratings made you a rap god. It's crazy in hindsight to think about how important that was at the time. But what it symbolized was how important it was to the hip hop community to be validated mm-hmm. by people who respected the craft understood the language and loved the people and when i say the people i don't mean just black people at large now i mean hip-hop kids the audience because the the generation before us was rejecting us right left and right yes there was no place to go Uh, it was war between it was war between what r&b and hip-hop it was well it was a war between our parents and us right it was a war between the civil rights movement and the hip hop movement. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It was a war between generations mm-hmm. that doesn't exist now. Right. There, where was Combat Jack when we needed him in ninety one? Right, right, right. right. There we, wasn't. So, so how you can instruct these millennials? Those guys didn't exist for right. us. So, so the arguments behind the five mics. Like, what, do you remember any like this? Got to get a five mic or like fuck that. That's not a five mic album. And how does a non five mic policy work? Well, it wasn't it wasn't stated. It right. just was. It just because our bar was so high. Right. It, it just I think for a lot of us, it was pretty unfathomable that somebody would drop a five. A five mic. So okay. it, we came into the room more or less feeling like this is a unrealistic goal. We're going to find flaws. If you it, we're, we're not just going to find flaws. We know they're there. Right. And we're so sophisticated in our hip hop analysis that. We're going to see them and therefore not be able to crown you. Right. Mm. Um, so it wasn't so much that we sat in the hub and was like, no one will ever get a five. It's just that. Y'all cared so much about the culture. Yeah. That y'all were not handing out fives. Yeah. Listen, I, I you know, I always say this and, and this might be a confession. So, you know, I was brand new in the game. I, yeah. I, I worked two blocks away I at, at, at Def Jam. I remember And, you know, I was grappling internally with whether. Even though Def Jam at the time mm-hmm. was the best place for me to be, I didn't know that I was grappling with whether I was going to be an attorney, like whether you were being an attorney yeah. was my calling or not. And I remember Kimson from, you know, formerly of Fanbros, mm-hmm. was like, yo, the source is up the block. Mm-hmm. And I remember walking in the office one time, my first time, and you guys were superheroes to me. Like, that, was this, had the wall come, like, were you... I don't remember the specifics okay, the space, as much okay. as you guys like were my intellectual peers yeah. that were out here on a major platform yeah. discussing the art, the art, the art form that I loved. And I was, I wasn't jealous. I was like envious. Yeah. Like I was like, how can I be down? So it was you, it was dream. It was Chris. Wild. It was the, the names that you mentioned. And I was just like, yo, 
that's when the seed was planted in me. Like, I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to be them cats. And and you were. and But because there weren't outlets, like there are multiple out- outlets today for right. you to find your tribe. Back then, one, you couldn't go to the Internet right. to find your tribe. Right. You had to literally pound the pavement to find your tribe. Right. And so when you saw us, you knew that you were us. Yo, y'all niggas, so you, yeah. y'all niggas was as yeah. spectacular as my favorite rappers. Yeah. And as much as I love being a Def Jam, if y'all had given me an offer, I would have been down with the sauce from well, the day. Well, that's what happened to all the smart kids. One. So all the smart kids in hip-hop right. were like, I'll shoot myself right now if I don't get a job at the source. I right. swear to God. And it was kind of lonely. It was, because it was a, yes. I was lonely because yes. I felt like a, like, I, I, you know, no shots to Def Jam. Def Jam, Really yeah. was my footprint into yeah. the. It was my. It was the open door. It was my foot in the door. It it it, it, it de- helped define me. Mm-hmm. But and me too. But yeah, the source like like internet. Y'all don't understand how everyone behind those pens. I just were wish superheroes. we had cameras. Right, I, I know. So much of that was just so raw and right. so rare. I'm gonna tell you the most indelible memory that I have of the source mm-hmm. is walking in. And I'm hearing, because I would walk in and hear like Cool G rap. Yeah. You heard BDP. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Kim. Yeah. But the shit that changed my life when I walked into the doors one day was y'all niggas was playing the chronic. Oh, that back to, to back. back to back. Going and I was like, and, and, and I got to explain again, like, like internets, like the reason why I think personally, Dr. Dre is the greatest hip hop producer of all times is because not only has he created great music and he's he has an extensive catalog, but he's changed the game over and over and over again. When you heard the chronic, you were like, this is hip hop from Mars. This is some shit from a different dimension. Right. Wow. Well, because you have to also recognize that we were so East Coast. Mm, Boom bap. We were so boom bap. Right. That there was an arrogance around it. Yes. And you didn't see the chronic coming. No, nobody so saw the that impact. Shit. And the was, cover was whack. It was, the yeah. album cover was whack. <laughs> I mean, this is what we know. So the album cover was so whack. The, so I was like, what so the, the layers, fuck is this? So the layers to right. the shit, that's a whole nother thing, right? right? But musically? Yes. Sonically? It, it, it was like being, it was just like Martians just had landed. Right. It, and it forced, it changed everything on a dime. But yet, the Chronic did not get five mics. The Chronic got four and a half mics. It should have. What was the argument behind that? It I was, it don't was, remember right. it well enough. Right. Um, wow. I just don't. I, it's, it's, I'm trying to put myself in a room. Di- different, I'm trying to, different lifetime. Different yeah, it was, lifetimes it was many, ago. I was going to say times ago, right. not time ago. <laughs> right. Different lifetimes. Life, lifetimes multiple ago. Multiple times right. ago. Right. Damn, I wish I remembered. I'm no dream will remember that. Right. Um, I think I remember us recognizing that it was a five after the four and a half. Right. That's what I recall more. Just this sense there was of, like a oops, <laughs> oops. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, what were your best memories of the source? Um, I guess the place and time. Mm-hmm. What Soho was then, you mm-hmm. know. Russell having Fat Farm on mm-hmm. Prince Street. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
the fact that we felt like the sky was like we thought we owned the world. We, we did, but we did own we the world did, you know, because we did, on yeah. that little strip, yeah, on on uh, right, you know, Soho and NoHo. Yes, on that Broadway strip, yeah. wow. we were connected to Run DMC. Yes, Flavor Flav, Public yes. Enemy, LL Cool J. You know what I'm saying? And then your place itself was a hub because as the source is starting to gain, you know, dominant, not even dominance, recognition. Yeah. Everyone had to go to, everyone didn't have to go to Def Jam. Everyone had to go to the source. Yes. You motherfuckers were superstars. Yes. And but you, you know, the thing about being ahead of the curve, right. and this has followed me throughout my career, it's not always the sexiest place to be in right. the sense that the reward often comes after the mm -hmm, fact. Mm -hmm. So those of you who like are in front of the curve don't get what folks at the peak of the curve right. get. Right. So vibe comes, right. vibe happens. Vibe can't happen without the source having yeah. happened first. The source begat vibe, but vibe was so fly when it first but came out. But and so those, oh are, but that's the reward of have of the source being so. We were grimy, right? Not just in the way, not just because hip hop was grimy. We were kind of grimy, and I don't mean this in the negative sense. I mean like we didn't have resources. Right. We didn't have the flashy, glossy. Funky, black and white yeah like we didn't have a lot of what no, right. would befall vibe right. just a few years after the advent of the source were you guys threatened by vibe i would say right i would say right um there was no way not to be you have to remember the landscape there's no other competition right. there's no complex there's no like the, no one else exists so when someone else shows up and they're glossier shinier and reinterpreting what you just laid down over the last four or five years, it's like, oh. And then the other thing is that if I'm remembering correctly, in the very earliest vibe conversations, they might have been conversations between the source and that original group right. and Quincy and so Yeah, and then I think they, I yes, 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 yes. Quincy was looking at, into putting the resources into the source, yes, yes. got close enough. Yeah. You know, saw the special sauce. Yes. And then ba basically jacked the yes. special sauces yes. and took it to the vibe. Yeah. And then, I mean, and what vibe did and what they represented and the time that they existed in, I'm talking about the vibe heydays, um, needed to happen. Right. The source needed to be kicked in the ass mm -hmm. like that. The mm -hmm. trajectory needed to continue mm -hmm. on. Mm -hmm. Vibe, there needed to be a more polished. The world is changing too. You have to pass also, on the baton. And hip hop is being commodified. Yes. So if we're going to be dancing and singing and selling chicken with the hip hop, we also need to make sure that we're looking good in the pages and, and that things are getting polished right. up. Right. So. This is all happening. And, you know, a lot of people couldn't find their footing. Um, I did just by way of having left the source by this point and things changing and, you know, defining myself or having been defined all those years as a serious writer. Right. So Vibe is making a space for serious journalists right, right, as well. Right, right, right. So anyone who was a, quote, hip hop journalist needed Vibe because you needed another outlet. You know, this story has been told over and over and over again. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the first that that fallout at the Source magazine. Yeah. And and how and we were talking about this on air. One of the most painful things when you're a passionate person, when mm -hmm. you're a creative person, when you're authentic and 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 your 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 dreams are pure, yeah. is when you land at some place that is your dream job. You know yeah. how hard it is to find a dream job, and then when the dream job becomes a nightmare. <sighs> Look. <laughs> You, you, want, you want some more do say? <laughs> Jay, Jay, where you at? Listen, the um, 
I remember when Ray would get buzzed into the source. Mm-hmm. What was your first impression of, of, of Ray Benzino? No, this is you got to receive that statement because okay. that's a symbolic thing. It buzzed, means that I'm somebody sorry. had to approve him right. coming in. Right. So this whole narrative as Ray being the owner of the source from its inception and the creator mm. of the source from its and inception. And you didn't know. Is, Nobody knew. It is mythology. Right. It is not the truth. Now, it was complicated, and this is from my vantage point, and right. I think if you talk to all of the early Source Mind Squad, you'll probably get a slightly different version of the right. truth from right, each right. of us. Right. Um, because some things were above ground and some things were underground and, and some things were unspoken and some things were spoken. So you just had to piece it all together for yourself. Mm-hmm. But I distinctly remember a time that Ray did not have, I certainly didn't think of him as my boss. Right. At all. Right. At all. Mm-hmm. Um, but it wasn't lost on me that the relationship between Ray and Dave was very complicated. Right. And that began to reveal itself in different ways. What were the first signs? To you? Um, to you? Was it the conversation? Was it the water cooler conversations? or? It was more like Dave being like, who's that? Is that Ray? Oh. It was more like that. Right. Like when he shows up. Right. And then it was... Him being there more, and then there and was, it, did it feel right that he was that he was there more? Um, it didn't feel wrong, right? It may not have felt right, right? If that makes any sense, you didn't recognize. I didn't see anything necessarily monumental coming out of it. Right. I just kind of recognized that whole crew, Almighty RSO, the mm-hmm. whole Boston Massive, and you know the Harvard kids are out of Boston throughout their college. If you guys know the history of the source and Dave Mays and the the radio show and all the things that beget the earliest source, which was a newsletter, as yes. you had mentioned earlier, you know that this is very much tied to the almighty RSO mm-hmm. and like some Boston kind of underworld, hip hop underworld, gangster shit, right? Gangster shit, exactly. Um, but I didn't really, I wasn't paying attention. Because right. it was your dream job. Yes, exactly. And I'm at my dream job. Um, so, yeah, what can I say about about Ray and that time just that it just didn't seem monumental it didn't I didn't see what happened right coming right um and then I left the source very I just kind of broke out my life changed I did some crazy stuff on the side myself <laughs> what the fuck you did I married a stranger okay and I'm who convinced me that I didn't have a quote real job and oh, really yeah whole nother chapter okay yeah and it's not that i'm i'm not shy about it well i'm becoming less shy about it um but just interesting how it unfolded so i leave the source but ironically at a time that maze and i probably are closer than we've ever been Mm -hmm. which is also the time that maze and the rest of the team are as fractured as they've ever been but because i have some distance i'm literally in detroit um i'm not dealing with the kind of visceral impact that his violation meant to editorial. Right. And and basically what, what Kieran is talking about yeah. is, you know, in the world of publishing, there's an unwritten rule that there's just like there's a, you know, supposedly supposed to be a separation between state and, 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 and church. Mm-hmm. Um, in publishing, there's supposed to be uh, a separation between editorial and publisher. Mm-hmm. And that relationship was breached because as the owner slash publisher, mm-hmm slash rapper mm-hmm. Benzino went against that grain and forced 
editorial content to praise his rap? Well, Dave will always overstate the quality of Benzino's music. Mm-hmm. That we knew. It was like it was Dave's boy. Right. You know, and we it was just, yeah, but no. Like, right. you know, we'd all be like, yeah, but not really, though. You know, so there was always that. Um, but he forced it. And remember, so now when the so before the source has its fall, right. it's at a mega height. It's at its peak. It's at its peak. Right. Um, and these are the Benzino years. Mm-hmm. These are the Dave, the, the Benzino years. And these are the years that it's getting really murky what the relationship mm-hmm. is. And the narrative is beginning to change. And Ray's importance is starting to feel like. Oh, so we're supposed to be paying attention to Ray? So right. he's calling shots somewhere? And there's some, some intended danger going on right and then, now? Yeah, and so there's so there's there's that. Yeah, yeah forget about the whole evolution of that. Right. Um, so violence is, violence, is but, introduced. And, and violence also not just in this story. Right. Violence, the threat of violence becomes more and more real mm-hmm. as the source is reaching its peak mm-hmm. because covering rap artists at that time meant it with any level of authenticity meant sometimes presenting a critique that they weren't used to i I think that being critical being critical in general was not something that black audiences you know a lot of times we ascribe things to hip-hop solely I bet Patti LaBelle wasn't used to being critiqued either. I mm-hmm. bet no, you know, like that's not but, what but black Patti folks LaBelle did But Patti LaBelle wasn't running up into... But yes, into, exactly. Into whatever. Exactly. With no guns. Exactly. <laughs> but then also you can't extract class. Right. You know, and to the extent that hip hop was the voice of of the um, voiceless, mm-hmm. it hurt to be dismissed in any respect if mm-hmm. you're some kid whose entire life and dream and future so you see it in your 18-year-old body, your 20-year-old body in 1993, 4, 5, to the extent that everything is invested in how well this single does. Mm-hmm. When somebody tells you your shit is whack. Your shit is whack, son. You, we have to see you. Yeah. Now, now we got to talk about Because this. it's personal, because you just fucked up my entire everything. hoop dreams. Yeah. Wow. Listen, let's go to a break. I can't believe we've been only talking for like, we've been talking for close to an hour. Have we? I don't think we started yet. We haven't even started Have yet. Kenna. Internet. We got Kenna Mayo in this building. <laughs> Do say what up, yo, King. Listen, Internet, let's go to a break. You're tuning into the Combat Jack Show, combatjackshow.com. What up, Mena? I love the work on the website. Yo, F your radio, F your podcast, and F your TV show. Oh. F your five mics. Hey, yo, Internets, this portion of the Combat Jack Show is brought to you by The Remix, a podcast out of WHYY in Philly. It features a fresh look at how race, culture, and politics intersect. Hosted by Dr. James Patterson, director of Africana Studies at Lehigh University and founder of Hip Hop Scholars. Now, you've probably seen Dr. Peterson on MSNBC using his breadth of knowledge to tackle everything from presidential politics to race relations. Guests include artists like the RZA and Ursula Rucker, top-notch journalists, and a variety of experts from outside the typical mainstream news cycle. I actually just listened to the episode with RZA, man, and they went from chess to police brutality, man, to education, to poverty, and 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 this show, man, this show, the remix is 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 very deep, man. You know what I'm saying? Is 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 very deep, man. It, internets. If you're interested in learning something, man, go to the remix. Other topics that I know that they've discussed has been Islamophobia and presidential politics, which is very very hot right now. The rift between black feminists and white feminists. I'm team black feminists. No offense. Why people fight affirmative action? Why the fuck are they trying to fight affirmative action? 
authenticity in hip-hop and movies, and a visual artist focusing on police brutality in his pop-up art exhibit. So check out the show, Gain New Perspectives Through Real Talk on the Most Controversial Subjects of Our Time. I highly, highly, highly recommend you subscribe to The Remix with Dr. James Patterson. It's available on iTunes and other podcast apps near you. This is an official Combat Jack co-sign, and now back to the show. Hey, yo, internet, you tune into the Combat Jack Show, combatjackshow.com. Yo, Mena. Mena. What's up, man? Yo, thank you for such a wonderful sight, man. Your hard work is paying off. I see it. I see the fruits of your labor, and I really appreciate it. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Yo, this douce is running through my my, my brain vein right now. True. So so, so excuse the the, the slurring (laughs) and the whole nine, but we all feeling nice here. Internets! We got the legendary Ken and Mayo in here. What up? What up? We got Ken and Mayo in here. We 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 going deep, deep, deep into this hip hop history. Like that means history. Man. Let me let me re- let me just recap. Um, the fallout that we were talking about is that you know you already heard extensively what 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 Ray Benzino's relationship was with the source, but there was specifically a magazine, uh, an issue. I mean, no, I'm sorry. There was an al- it's do say, do say. Do say. <laughs> there was an album by the Almighty RSO. Yeah. That didn't qualify for five mics and because the source was very stringent and strict with their five mics ratings they were surprised you guys was well the the staff was surprised one day when you walked in it was like yo who the fuck put this five mics in the magazine and it's on the stands so i'm not i'm not a part of the y'all this is exactly the time that i leave and go to detroit this is also the time that i'm telling you that I'm friends with Dave. Mm-hmm. And this is also the time that everyone I've known and loved and respected and built shit with is revolting. Right. Hmm. They leave. The facts are, they're devastating. I mean, right. also, it's cumulative, right? This is clearly the straw that breaks the camel's back. Mm-hmm. But I think the year prior to that or so, and I'm totally like, don't trust my time measurements 40 years later, however many years later. But. 20. 20 years later, um, we really, they really were hurt. Right. There was such an underpinning of brokenheartedness that framed everything. You know, and but there was a lot of hard work that went into this. So there was a lot of ownership where there was not a lot of ownership. Right. And so that became really clear right. also. Right. Folks' lack of business relationship to the source, even though they were clearly the parents of it, the, the custodians of it. And it really, really, it was a time of a lot of broken hearts. Right. And Dave knew that he crossed the line that he couldn't return from. Right. Being a friend of Dave mm-hmm. at the time, mm-hmm. what were the conversations like? It was like, you know, I fucked up. Um, I don't remember this... I remember his overall sadness. Right. I remember him being more quiet than normal. Mm. Dave, to know Dave was to And know, Dave's already fucking quiet. You know, at that time, right, but when he felt right or when he felt like he was smarter than you, mm-hmm. he would be very um, clear and kind of almost overbearing. Mm-hmm. The way he treated people sometimes was ironically like a reflection of how it seemed the relationship between him and Ray was mm. just seemed like he was kind of projecting that same kind of karmic in a sense. Mm-hmm. Right. So it it was deep. Right. So I don't, I don't, I don't, 
I don't want to say because I don't really, I think I recall, but then I'm like, what if I'm not 100% accurate about his words? Right. But I okay. remember more his sentiment because that wasn't a face that he showed. Like right. I was privy to that mm -hmm. because I was his friend. Right. But that was not thing something anyone else knew. He was in full combat mode. Right. Yeah. Um, were you there when... Uh, and he was the, riding for Ray. That's right. the point. Wow. Sides were taken. He took Ray's side. Wow. Yeah. Were you there when uh, Illmatic got the five mics? I wasn't at the source. You wasn't though. at the source. Yeah. Okay, okay. Um, so your life changes. You go to Detroit. How do you come back like a phoenix rising from the ashes mm -hmm. and you launch Honey Magazine? Mm -hmm. how, how did that happen? Mm -hmm. Things happen in between all of that. Mm -hmm. But, yes, flash forward to Honey. Honey is a direct... It's a, it, there's a through line from the source to honey, right? So for all of the dreams and the Kiranas of the world that we know exist, there has to be something. And my girlfriend from Hampton, Joycelyn Dingle, and myself kind of... What up, Joycelyn? Yep, yeah, what up, Jay? Came up with this idea that was made possible in my mind because of what I saw Dave and John and what I saw them do. Right, what they created. Well, just that they could. I thought you had to be a 60-year-old. Mm -hmm. White, Jewish. White, Jewish. Multi-millionaire. I thought right. you had to be them 60 years later or right. 50 years later, 40 years later. Right. You know, I really did. And that they kind of deconstructed that really quickly for me, that you could be young and you could have a media vision. Mm -hmm. um, so, and Joycelyn always believed that we were magical and could make shit happen. Black, black girl magic. Yes. Um, and so we just kind of took what we knew to be the pulse of women who surrounded hip hop, mm -hmm. who were major parts, contributors to the culture in every kind of way, and who were digesting it and who were reinterpreting it and who do style in, in, in every other way. We were just like, there has to be a center point. And it's more sophisticated now because it's 98, it's the late 90s. Right. We're heading almost into the 2000s, so so much has happened. Mm -hmm. You know, the uh, the source is not my reference at that point, right? But clearly, those many years later, it was what put the seed in me, and also what centered hip hop for me. I was like, "This is saleable. We can make money from this." And this is speaking to a demo that's really not spoken to. This is mm -hmm. this is the hip hop. This is the woman hip hop yes. fan magazine. We we're speaking to you. Yes. We understand your sensibilities. We understand your, your taste yeah. in hip-hop. You know, we, we're good girls, but we, we might like the thug. And the, so this, you know, it's, it's, it's speaking to all of those senses. And, and more, and more. I'm, I'm, I'm just talking surface. Yes. I mean, it's, it, yes, it spoke to all of our intersections. So were we wearing Tim's and red lipstick? Yes. Mm. You know, I miss, yo, hold up, hold up, hold up, hold up. Yo, I miss those days. I know. When 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 y'all was was so beautiful, mm -hmm. and 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 like fashionably thugged yes. out. <laughs> I was telling somebody like, today. I was oh like, my! Why was I always God. so thugged out? But this shit was this yeah. shit, like it like y'all don't understand like yo like <sighs> round the way girl. It wasn't even the round the way girl. I remember like <sighs> the last girl that broke my heart was an attorney. <laughs> Who I saw stepping out of a Jeep with Tim's on. 
With Jeep. Who Jeep? It was like a Wrangler or some shit, but I was like, yo, you got Tim's on. I'm in uh, love <laughs> with the Coco. <laughs> And I'm, that's how it was with us. Right. I mean, and we weren't, sometimes we were mimicking the boys. Yes. But other times we were commanding the style. Right. And directing the culture. Um, so, and we knew that we, there was also the subculture of the women of hip hop culture. That right. was an existing subculture without it even being spoken. It just was. Right. And we just became a center point for that. Like we recognized it. And we were sophisticated enough to understand fashion and feminism and mm-hmm. all kinds of things that found its way to Honey and really became a rallying cry for a subset of women who were in the know and, you know, found themselves in Lauren Hill. You know, huh. it's so funny looking back. I don't think there's a better name, mm-hmm. you know, aptly titled mm-hmm. for, for for a publication than Honey. Because mm-hmm. like it, 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 it fits so mm-hmm. well. Honey was iconic. Um, honey is legendary, but honey was also short lived. Yes. What happened to honey? That's how long, honestly, for real, how long? You listen, Chuck D spoke here for four hours. (laughs) I mean, we didn't publish four hours, but he he went that long. We were like, yo. But what are we cutting this down to? Because I don't want to sit here and just kick all of that shit for no reason. No, no, we don't edit. Kiana, we don't edit. My nigga, we don't edit here. Talk. Okay. Let's go. All right. So, but I'm still going to give you the abridged this, yeah, Of course, because we got to get to we got to get to now. Because we have to get to now. But we, but you got all the time in the world. We we got, we got have 45-minute episodes, and we have three-and-a-half-hour episodes. And our, and our audience, listen, internets, internets, this. This, is, this, is, this, is, this, is, this is directly to you. We've been doing this for six years right now. And, and, and for those of y'all that ride with the 45-minute um, plies interview, and for those of y'all that right. ride with us with the three and a half hour Chuck D interview, right. from my heart and soul, I thank y'all. Back to Kenna Mayo. Ashe. Ashe. Mm-hmm. Hotep. Do mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> say, and Hotep ain't nothing to fuck with. <laughs> yeah. So what happened? Because you guys are independent, you guys are living out your dreams. And once again, once again, right. you find in this crazy, yeah. hectic, mm-hmm. chaotic world where mm-hmm. you're trying to define yourself, where you're trying to express yourself, where you're trying to connect to kindred spirits that you know right. that your shit is dope and they will receive it. What the fuck happened? Well, getting to honey, beginning the beginnings of honey, the manifestation of honey was at the heels of a lot of rejection, mm-hmm. protracted rejection, mm-hmm. yearly rejection. Right. This is not an idea that can work. There's only essence, you know? And no one wanted to recognize, to the extent that folks didn't really want to recognize hip-hop in traditional spaces. They didn't want to rep- represent and understand and validate the women of the subculture. Of I mean, this is just, again, so that's what I mean about being ahead of the curve. Right. Because we begin to, we push forward something that pops at a certain point. And right. if, you're the, if you enter then, it's you're a good. different you're scenario. Good. Right, right. Yes. Yes. But what we're beginning is like the culminant, you know, we have to exist for a Rihanna to mm-hmm. exist. Mm-hmm. There, there's a straight line between right. 
Honey and Rihanna. Right. Right? Um, just in, well, yeah. Um, what else? So what happened? Like what happened to okay. the publication? From what, what I, from what I understand, okay, so this is from what I understand. Yeah. Um, you guys are doing such a great job mm-hmm. that people recognize once you're executing, after all these years of rejection, people mm-hmm. are rec- recognizing, mm-hmm. wait a minute, this is, this is a commodity. There's value to this. Mm-hmm. Vanguard Media, mm-hmm. Keith Klingstales, sees you guys. He's like, I, I, I want to add to this value. Mm-hmm. Comes to the table, acquires honey mm-hmm. and then you're no longer part of it mm-hmm. and everybody's like what where did they like talk like walk us through that I'll, my qualifier is that I can only walk you through this from my perspective right I recognize that if you ask all parties involved they will probably have a version that competes with mine in some ways mm-hmm. You didn't flip no tables over, did you? I did. You flipped some tables, my nigga. I did. I'm a table fucking flipper. Excuse yes. me. Yes. Internet. <laughs> Internet. I did. Right. But that's not the point. Okay. And that's not the takeaway either. Right. In fact, there are regrets around that kind of stuff. Right. Hold on. What right. sign are you? Aquarius. Okay. Mm. Mm. It takes a lot to get an Aquarian to flip a table over. You think? I think so, because y'all niggas are chill. I think Huey Newton flipped a lot of tables. Okay, okay, okay. I think Michael Jordan flipped a lot of tables. Right, 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 right. I think Alice Walker flipped a lot of tables. Okay, so so now we know your internet's hashtag (laughs) Kiernan Mayo table flipper. (laughs) Not at all, not at all. Actually, I'm a lover, which is why when you get to table flip mode, everything is bad. It's a violation. And it's, 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 you've bottomed out. Right. You were violated. Basically, your dream was violated. Right. So so what happened? Joycelyn and I, even before we had named it Honey, had another name for the mm-hmm. publication. And we had a business plan that we gave to Keith mm-hmm. um, very early on, before Honey becomes a manifestation, uh, which he had ultimately for many, many months, six, seven months, mm-hmm. however long. He may have never looked at it. He may have looked at it every day of those six months. I, I'll never know. The point is, he was privy to our He had the plan. Plan. And you guys executed it. Right. So he is among the rejectors. Mm-hmm. He just, this can't have essence. Mm, this isn't really mm-hmm. viable. We don't see it in this respect. It seems like something, but mm, mm. not sure. Um. So we end up at Harris Publication just kind of by default after years of just realizing that this is not something that anyone is willing to invest in. Right. And the and the magazine business is a very high capital business. You have to have a lot of cash to publish a magazine. It's mm-hmm. not a blog, folks. It's, mm-hmm. it's not the same thing. Um, so we're young. We're in our 20s. We don't have millions of dollars, but we know we're sitting on a million dollar idea go to this company with the same business plan that we've been peddling. And essentially, after many meetings, they say to us that we are only interested in hiring you. Don't bring your business plan. Don't bring your lawyers. By the way, we were going to do a black L. You know, the folks that worked there who we knew kind of pulled us in. And we had what you would consider today high-level meetings, Mm -hmm. if you want to consider anything about the Harris structure as high right. level. Um, but we 
were, my point is we were young women really bawling in a sense because we were negotiating. We are also projecting forth a media idea. We're content creators before there's that kind of language. And most importantly, mm-hmm. content owners. Yes. Well, this is what this is what the goal was. Right. But when the final proposition was there, it was presented to us as the only way that this will see the light, the only way that you will make it to the publisher is to concede this notion of ownership. Mm. So that was something that we had to swallow. Yeah, but it, even before you got to swallow, you had to figure out whether or not you could do that. Could you do that and live with yourself, right. knowing that you had imagined your business for, this is your baby. for so long? This is your baby. Uh, yeah. So, but I have no regrets. Right. So, I, so I don't stand here today with of course regrets. Not. Of course I have not. none. I'm, right. I'm happy we did what we did. But it wasn't. Some people think that we went into it just kind of green and... But you did. And we were. And but we you were. Did. And right. we were. But we weren't, it wasn't lost on us what was happening. We right. weren't snowed. Right. We agreed. Right. So we went into the relationship as employees of Harris Publication, who was at the time the publisher of Honey and some other urban books. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's where we had our glory days. That's where we had the big first issues. That's mm-hmm. where we had the legendary Honey launch party and all the things that came out of that. First year, but not long after what you were intimating earlier, was that we got a lot of attention fast. Mm -hmm. That's not the same thing as selling magazines. The critique from the Harris side was, you all are just making this for your friends. Yeah, and we're we're doing well. Well, they are not traditional publishers. They're very niche and they're very, like, unorthodox and... You could be packing tuna fish up in Harris Publications. It, it, it's just wrote. Mm. Every book is on at this, and right. that's how it moves. And Conveyor Honey belt. broke that entire model. Put a half. glitch. So by the end of a year, it was just acrimonious. Right. It was not healthy. It right. was a bad relationship between black women and largely Jewish men, mm. older men. Mm-hmm. And who shared, who loved your idea, but didn't share. And and also the public kind of accolades and attention and the grandeur of what Honey was, was almost lost on them in some respects. Mm-hmm. And that, that's got to hurt. It didn't, it didn't do what XXL did. It's got to hurt when you're on the field. You're not you you're not you you're not scoring the touchdowns, but you're getting your first downs. You know it. And the coach is like, "What the fuck?" So Joyce Lynn and I decide that we need to get some money quick. Right. We need to come back to the table mm-hmm. quickly. We've got to come back to right. our shit. Right. And we start talking to some money people, mm-hmm. and we feel confident enough to broach the conversation now with Harris to say, "We want to sit down." we discover that they can't sit down mm-hmm. because they're in contract negotiations mm-hmm. with Keith Klingscales. Mm-hmm. Keith Klingscales, who's had my business plan for all those months. Keith Klingscales, who, you know, and I have a lot of respect for Keith, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he did cause a lot of hurt and disruption in my plan for myself. You know, nothing happens that shouldn't, perhaps, right. or it wasn't supposed to, but it doesn't erase the gravity of how it felt because I also knew it wasn't just my emotional relationship to honey. I felt that I had a media savvy 
and that I was ready to shape content in a way that was going to put us on a new path to mm. revenue. Mm. I was understanding what it meant to have experiential built in things that people are talking about now. Where are your events? Where are your I was thinking you were like there. That you were then. there. You were there. And so I felt really robbed of an opportunity right. to kind of grow my business. And it was mine, right. you know? And also I, I suspect, I don't I suspect strongly that the early money for Vanguard was in part raised on the prospect of honey, which right. was my tangible work right. that you're trading on right. for cash. Right. This is what I believe. Right. And now I have a sophistication enough to know that I was also a girl mm -hmm. and they were boys right. and they were playing at a higher level and I was talent, you know, and they are producers, mm -hmm. owners. They're the owners. Yeah. What does that experience do to you? Well, today it just rounds me out. Like I wish nothing but the best for everyone involved in that circumstance. But I, then well, what did it do to you? Oh, well, it, it, well, for one, it, it sharpened me in right. some ways. Before I, like, claim any kind of victimhood, I have to say that I got very fierce. Mm -hmm. I definitely became that one you didn't really want to. You just you just woke up the killer. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's right. why. That's what I mean by flipping right. tables. Obviously, I don't mean literal tables, right. but I do mean. I was definitely. They ran. Everybody right. was like, "Not her." Right. And so we settled. Like, like I negotiated wrong. money for us. I negotiated. Right. A situation that was not at all what we were worth, not at all what it didn't even show a true level of respect, but it did show the might of my of me, the burgeoning kind of media savvy young woman figuring out the value of content. Right. So it it sharpened me, but it also broke me in a mm -hmm. lot of ways. Mm -hmm. It definitely made me retreat. I was very much, you know, I used to be party girl, party girl, party girl, and I definitely turned into far more of a reclusive thinker. And instead of sharing my thoughts, I sat in solitude with them for a long time. You know, mm -hmm. what I appreciate about this, and I, I could share also, is the best of us mm -hmm. have to be broken. Oh, yes. I would say so. Right. Um, What do you do after, honey? Okay, so what happens in the honey negotiations, the honey negotiations are happening fast. Keith's mm -hmm. getting mad. His whole team is like, what? So they're flipping, so they're not going to come with us? Yeah. So like, And I'm just like, you know what you could... It was bad. That's right. what I mean. Like right. I was like, fellas, please don't insult me. They, I think they offered us something like probationary titles mm -hmm. or something. Like, like you have to in, prove in yourself days, after, you, if, after you're making money off my and the my guys body. decide... Right. That you're right. So we were just rocked. It let me, let just, me ask you, Kenna. Let me ask much. you a real question. Mm -hmm. All the connections you have, all the emotion that's running on, all the mm -hmm. disrespect that's going on. Mm -hmm. You didn't have no niggas running with mm -hmm. no guns. Mm -hmm. Did that, was the, was the button mm -hmm. there? Was he like, I'm about to get these <laughs> guns on you, bitch ass niggas? If I run for president and tell you the truth, <laughs> this is going to come back. In yeah, okay, so, yeah, so, yes. Um, yes, Kenna, yes. You held back. You held back. There was a lot of restraint. Right. But more importantly, there was, like, a lot of... It was so surreal. Mm -hmm. It was so surreal that this is how it, like, I was like, 
this is how this goes. Because the trauma makes you have an out-of-body experience. It does. Right. It does. So that whole time was kind of out-of-body for me. Right, You know, when I'm like playing lawyer, which I do well, Mm -hmm. you know, um, and then when I'm with the lawyers, and also we're leveraging a lot of favors, and it was actually a very, it needed to happen. Right. We got really sharp. Mm Mm-hmm. We got really sharp mm. from the experience. But nonetheless, there was the lull after. But what happened um, in the interim was that we were recruited by George Jackson from UBO, mm-hmm. who um, he's since passed, but mm. he was the New Jack City. New Jack City. Yes. And he was like, when he first reached out to us, we were working on what we didn't know, but what would become our last issue of Honey. And he wanted to do Honey.com. And this is 1999. Which is crazy. 1.0. You know what? George Jackson was such a forward-thinking, beautiful soul, man. Internet. I'm not going to go into George Jackson's legacy, but just just Google George Jackson. Yeah. uh, Motown and New Jack City. Yeah. And just a beautiful soul, like you said. Yes. And he saw something in us, and I'm going to tell you something, and it's been instructive for me as a leader in every respect. He called me. He told us that he sees us. Mm-hmm. And this, again, we're working on what we didn't know would be the last issue of Honey. So within my conversations with George, so now I'm realizing that not only is Honey popping, Honey might be the jump off to something else. Who mm-hmm. knew? I didn't see that coming. But when George reaches out, we discover in the process of making that issue that we are going to lose this magazine. Mm-hmm. So all this conversation about honey.com and what? So we're going to have a website. So a, what, a website? What's that again? What is that? like? All- so wait, we're going to make the magazine and it's going to do things? Like what? Like music? And what else? You know, so we're imagining what it's going to look like. Because, because the publication now is being theoretically expanded into like this 3d experience yes so you know but to do that means that we have to go with him so within that process we lose honey so Mm -hmm. my next conversation with george is because i know he's not interested now Mm because i don't have this you don't have the content he discovers that i don't have you don't have that you don't have the drugs when i don't have the brand name right and he says to me oh i didn't call for honey i called for you wow get your team and let's go right and that's when I was like, Keith and y'all, okay, and we bounced. And mm-hmm. so we went to UBO and made triple our salaries, and it was 1.0, and we were bawling. And it was the introduction, like, you were ahead of the curve. Because mm-hmm. my next question was, you know, as the, as, the, as the millennium hits and digital becomes the norm, print takes a hit. A major hit. But you were already well prepared for that because you were already well versed. No one was well prepared, but I was, yes, ahead of the curve in the sense that I had some sensibilities and I had some experience, yes. And that's why a lot of my peers didn't break through because they didn't ride digital in the ways that you absolutely need to to sustain, you know. So that was that that was the time. So and it was it was traumatic and it was emotional. But it like I said, it made us kind of razor sharp in ways that needed to happen and it made me less afraid of men in business mm-hmm. because were you were you intimidated by men in business? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, yeah, I think that happens a lot mm. subconsciously. I don't, I don't, I don't walk in the room like scared, but I think that there's a power factor mm. that 
is rarely lost on you when mm-hmm. you're a woman. Right. Um, especially in the position that I was in, because again, I'm seen as talent. When mm-hmm. you're creating content, people and see as a you woman as talent, it's it's like a double mm-hmm. check. It's like a yeah. And you know, and these are still early days. Right. I mean, these are still very very early days. Right. Honey will go on to have many lives after mm-hmm. me. You know, which is also another kind of legacy and gift. And you were right; you know, it, it didn't disappear. It didn't, and yeah. wilt, it, it's 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 it, yeah. you know, it survived. Yeah. Um, we could sit here for three hours. And we, we're let's, about to jump. We're about to do a little jump. Yes, let's jump. How do you end up mm-hmm. as editor in chief mm-hmm. slash vice president of digital at Ebony? And by the way, that sounds like a lot of jobs. Like, are you are you, are you Jamaican? Partly. Okay. Um, what, what does no, that? What, no. First of all, first of all, before you <laughs> answer not. my question, what does that mean? Editor in chief yes. means editor in chief of print. Yes, and then you also VP of digital. So well, so I'll explain because I don't work on on digital day to day anymore. Right. When I came to Johnson Publishing, I came as the editorial director of Ebony dot com, mm-hmm. and that was in twenty eleven. So, so you get a job. Get to, you, well, yes, and I was up for the editor-in-chief position mm-hmm. at Essence and didn't get it just right. prior to that. God damn that Essence, and I'm huh? Done, yeah, it, keeps, God, it stays in my God life. God damn it's, that elusive it stays, unicorn. It, yes, that unicorn, yeah. But just such a wonderful thing, too, and so many sister right. friends over there. And just, you know, I still claim it, but I ride for what mm-hmm. I do right now, right. which is Ebony Magazine. Right. And I just believe that we are really, really changing the game. You get this gig yeah. at Ebony, yeah. right? Um, my personal perspective on Ebony is mm-hmm. that Ebony is an established brand. Mm-hmm. Um, we all know it. We all love it. Mm-hmm. But Ebony had become very, very stale. Mm-hmm. Like the last magazine you talk about mm-hmm. is Ebony. Mm-hmm. How do you fucking revitalize the brand? Where Ebony is the conversation now. Ebony is on CNN. Ebony is on social media. Like mm-hmm. every time I see a cover, mm-hmm. like my understanding, and I and I looked over the the the, the decades of mm-hmm. covers, is that Ebony had become very comfortable in putting up our celebrities on the cover: Denzel, Beyonce, Rihanna, blah 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 blah. How did you shift it so that the cover is now thematic and also current day, modern day iconic? By taking a chance on my worldview Mm -hmm. in some respects Mm -hmm. and by being allowed to, I have to say. Right. Um, Did you have to force, like, did you come in saying we have to change the energy? No, so remember, I'm already part of the Johnson Publishing family for four years Mm -hmm. before becoming the editor-in-chief. So I was promoted to VP of digital content. I did a whole digital stint. And you proved then, yourself. Then, well, I wasn't coveting the, I wasn't there to become the editor-in-chief. Right. right. I was done with print. Right. I was done with print. Mm-hmm. This was, who knew? This is one of those things mm-hmm. for me. I, I was done with print. It just so happened that the editor left and I then realized that maybe I'm not done with print. Right. You know, because the vision never stopped, but understanding that the space is getting smaller and smaller and knowing how much can be done on the digital side, I was trying to figure out what my next, how to flip my next digital thing. Mm-hmm. Um, so 
it happening for me, I guess, is that's what I want to get to. Just why this is symbolic and how the symbolism of it happening for me as this little girl who loved magazines and coming full circle gives me the kind of kahunas to step into my vision mm -hmm. because if like not now when right that's the whole point right. like it that's why the whole two hour long story because it's always been about that right and so now here i am i happen to be at a place that is an independently run publishing company which allows for a lot of latitude mm -hmm. when you are at traditional publishing houses it's the freedom it, you, less freedom. It, it's less freedom. Less freedom. Yeah, it's less freedom. Right. And also, the, the standard publishing rule is if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Which is which is broken. Which is a broken rule. Right, it's broken. The science is off there. Right, right, right. Exactly. Right. So when you understand that like I do, you have no choice. And, and you're in a situation where the one clear benefit is the level of creativity that you can bring to it. Because being at a small publishing house also doesn't have the luxuries that come with being mm -hmm. an editor at right. other places. Right, 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 right. So. Um, this is what I have to say. Mm -hmm. um, when, 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 you get, when you get the nod to be the editor-in-chief mm -hmm. of print, when I see the covers that you're producing, right. which are modern-day, like, like, like real-time iconic covers, I see a legacy from the source. Mm -hmm. I see thought yeah. provoke. Yeah. I see. I see. Like you we're see gonna Lawrence be. We're, we're gonna challenge the status quo. Right. Um, when I look at your America loves black culture with black people with people etched out, I see your pedigree from the source. Like yes, that's the politics. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the politics. When I see your Bill Ca Bill Cosby shattered Huxtable, it's like, like. You're pushing that. You you may. I mean, I don't know what goes on behind closed doors, but I can only attribute it attribute it to me knowing you, and your legacy. You revitalize the brand. Some of it is shocking to me mm -hmm. because I'm just doing what I do. So what I you were naturally it. meant to do. Yes. Right. But I'm a content creator. It's my job to blow your mind. Right. What are you talking right. about, people? Plan on that. This is what I came to do. So I don't, you know, like if you were talking to Nas, that's what you expect out of his music. Right. If you're talking to anyone who you think is of as great at, at their craft, then the expectation is high. Right. So, but we're not overthinking either. It's not like we're like, oh my God, this is a land to you. from a hell. And it's also collective, right. just like the Mind Squad, just right. like Honey. Just like every stop in my life, in order for the magic to happen, the best idea has to be able to rise to the top, whether it's from the intern or the CEO. I could go on and on about the covers. Um, my favorite cover was the uh, uh, America Loves. Oh, it was. Okay. Right. Everyone it, has a different favorite. Right. It's like classic. No, no, that, like, that, like that's, that, that's my albums. favorite because it, it, it <laughs> speaks so much about the reality of our relationship as black Americans in America. You yeah. love our culture. Yeah. And, but you don't love us. Yeah. Um, let's talk about the fallout you got from the <clears throat> Huxables cover. That was deep. That right. was also one of those changing times for me, too. Kind of like the losing of honey, sharpening. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Like, I got sharper fast. Mm -hmm. um, because I also just realized that if I'm going to be authentically black as an editor, 
and I'm going to allow my audience to be their full selves, then we cannot remove the prospect of critique. We're going back again, maybe to even my source leanings. Those early days of just like arguing right. passionately right. about an idea, a thing, do we a cr- subject. So was it an argument about do we criticize? You know, No. There wasn't. wasn't. Right. And because I think as a large a cadre of largely women, there we have some Cosby issues mm-hmm. to begin with. Mm-hmm. So we were softened in terms of our, quote, objectivity mm-hmm. around it to begin with. Right. If I'm just going to keep it very real, mm-hmm. we don't think that the prospect of him not having attacked any of the women who, who claim to have been attacked by him is slim. But that said, it was not our job to project that. Right. So that was off the table. I'm just right. explaining why we were even open to the possibility. Mm-hmm. But we were doing our family issue, and my brilliant editor, Tia Brown, said, Cosby? First we were thinking, celebrity couple, family? Mm. The, and see? Tradition. Mm-hmm. It all is burned in you. Right. You you still play with it mm-hmm. before even like the magic. Obama happens. Michelle cover. You, you had, it's like, yeah, like exactly. Jay Beyonce. Yeah, exactly. Bingo. And right. had one of them shown up, that's what you would have got. Right. Okay? Right. But the combination of things, not them showing up, and the issue becoming topical. So topical. And things things being what they were, right. it made sense. And then so we're so but the whole idea of coming up with the broken glass is myself and the sister who was our art director at the time, um, just knowing that we had to bring some kind of crisis to the image. Mm-hmm. We were like, what is it? What is it? What is it? So, and then we um, we worked with some artists, graphic artists. So it's always collective. Right. So I that's the most important piece of my story, right. that I lead teams, but I respect teams. So that means everybody has a position. And that's how... To me, the magic happens, and that really is the story behind every Ebony cover. First, we're thinking, and we're listening to each other, and we're debating, you know, and it comes down to the wire, and we have to make a decision, and it's one of three good things. And I believe in creative art direction, so I'm on set. When we're shooting, I'm making sure that the image looks exactly how I meant for it to look. I'm not an accidental editor. I'm very deliberate. How do you feel about the fact that the covers now elicit so much response. I just feel like I hope that people go to newsstands and buy them. Right. That's how I feel. Are they buying them? They are. Right. They're beginning to. But So you, you've seen an uptick. I have. Right. I have. Congratulations. Thank you. And I've also seen an uptick, like you said, in just the measure, like the kind of cultural temperature around. The brand Ebony. is no longer stale. It's no longer stale. I mean, I guess... In defense of like, so the sisters that were there before me, I feel like they did so much to move the needle and, and, and I wanted to say, so there is, this is no shots to your pre- predecessor. Yeah, so it's, there really isn't because right. it stands on that. But so they created a lane for me. Mm-hmm. And then my feeling like, if not now, when right. gave me the, the, the what I needed. Right. Kiana, you become a, a mainstay on CNN. <laughs> How is that? How's that changed your life? Not a mainstay. I've been on a handful of times. A handful is a mainstay. I mean, like you, you, you've been on more than I've been on. Well, are you more recognizable in public right now? When I have these glasses on. Okay. Yes. Has that changed your life? It's not quite that deep. No. Okay. Okay. But it's changed my thinking of myself. Mm-hmm. 
It's changed the way I see my possibilities. How so? Because I think I'm not bad at it. Mm. And it that's a revelation. Right. So, and also the response that I get tells me things too. Right. And I listen to people. So I'm always measuring. So, you know, it makes me feel like maybe there's some possibilities for me in terms of being more public in that way. You know, is it crazy that certain issues come up right now mm-hmm. um, that bring you back to your source days? And specifically, I'm talking about I'm straight out of Compton mm. and you check in uh, F. Gary Gray, the director of Straight Out of Compton. Mm. But that it, it circles back to your source days I with the chronic. Like, like, yes. like, like, like yes. what drove, yes. like, what was your, like, what I'm trying to say is back in the day. Mm-hmm. When you were a Dr. Dre N.W.A. fan mm-hmm. and you heard about him attacking D. Barnes, mm-hmm. what did that do to you? Well, Dream wrote about that, mm-hmm. and that was a very poignant moment. Yes. It was a very poignant moment. I remember moment that, actually. Because, first of all, a clear narrative that centers the woman is beginning mm-hmm. in print Mm -hmm. in the quote bible so things are shifting Mm -hmm. and two it made us clear that we were at that things were dangerous Mm. for us Mm -hmm. those of us who like ever slept got woke real fast Mm -hmm. Um, there's real hatred in this culture for women yeah and i think it's the kind of hatred that is almost like racism where when you hear white people say oh that doesn't no, exist, never. Right. It's the same kind of thing. It's not you're not conscious of it. Right. Nobody Dre doesn't you couldn't tell Dre then that he hated women. Right. You damn sure can't tell him that now. Right. And it's still questionable. You never know how anyone feels about how any man really re- receives women right. in general. So you have to experience, you know, whatever's in the room and it sometimes makes you vulnerable, but the F. Gary Gray moment I really wasn't grandstanding. I'll tell you the truth, Reg. I felt I was kind of heartbroken that I had to stand up. Mm-hmm. I was like, because it was being pushed, uh, it was being, being swept under the rug. Yeah, once and I mean, again, and I because did, you saw it get swept, swept listen, under the rug twenty plus years ago. And I, I got a lot of criticism from my sisters right. who felt that I went way soft. By right, the way, right, like that I had any kind of praise for him at all. Right. Um, but for the film at all, but cinematically I did. So I had to speak to that. I thought that the film was very well done. And as somebody who was a part of that time and a witness to the culture, I, there was a lot of accuracy there. I had to speak to the inaccuracy. Yes, 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 yes. And that was the because one you were that there. Was, you it were just was there. glaring. You were there. It was just so glaring. Right, right, it just right, right. seemed like, like, it wasn't an accidental omission. When right. you're creating art, you do leave things out by accident. Mm-hmm. It was clear to me that this was a deliberate right. omission. Somebody said, oh, hell no. So, but why I was disappointed was not that the movie did it. You expect that they'll take the low road. Right. A lot of times you expect that sometimes if from Brothers in Hip Hop. The low road is like a commonplace. But... The fact that no young sister stood up mm. broke me. Right. I was waiting. I was the last person to have the mic because right. I was like, is somebody, am I crazy? Do you think it's because. And that no brothers had anything to do say? Do you think it's because of lack of awareness or just like, yo, let's, let's, let's just ride with this, whatever? 
Well, I think it's always hard to, it's easier to, to kick it when you're not looking at Cube in his face. Mm-hmm. It's easier to critique F. Gary Gray when F. Gary Gray is right. not in the room. So it's courage. It's hard to really be the one who's like talking it right. in somebody's face. Right. But those source years like made me that. You know, you, you, you had that uh, issue with uh, Harry Belafonte, mm-hmm. uh, Jesse Williams, mm-hmm. and Zendaya, mm-hmm. a stand-up for something cover, mm-hmm. um, where you question, like, with regard to artists, modern day, there's so many issues going on. Right, like, where is the We stood up, we activism. stood up, we stood up as kids. Mm-hmm. And I, this is not like back in my day, but we really were passionate about what was important. About the issues. To, about what was important yeah. to us. Yes. And, and fuck what the ramifications were. Yeah. Fuck with the consequences yeah. where we have to speak up. Yeah. How, are we, what, what happened? Well, no, I, I'm one of those people who believes that the, the best of things have happened. Right. I think that um, what you're seeing today in terms of a movement that in so many respects is youth-led mm-hmm. um, speaks to a new level of unapologetic blackness. Mm-hmm. I feel like they actually are riffing off of us right. in many ways. Um, so, and there's a lot to, like, question about millennials and about why and about all these sub generations that have come after us but i think that there's a lot of hope there and but that's not that's my that's not my question my question is the arts the arts yeah the artists Mm -hmm. that we respected Mm -hmm. when we were coming up right were very even even the most but look at what. But look at what's breaking through now. Right. So we've so the tipping point, right? Mm-hmm. So Beyonce happens and formation goes down, and the Super Bowl, which is happens. the most friendliest and then, form of protest ever, but yeah, it's the most yes, effective. But it, yeah. So you. But wait, everything in its proper time context. Right, right. Are you trying to just be? Are you trying to be right? Or are you trying to win? Right. Are you trying to win? Because this is a battle this out is, here. This is a, this is for a, mine. Yes. It's not a bet. It's a war. It's a war. It's a war. For minds. Right. So everything matters now. So yes, be on the front line. Right. If you can. I suspect that if Beyonce shows up at your protest, it becomes about her. And it's more important for her to do what she did than to be leading your protest. Fire an ex- unexpected shot. And Plus everybody moving. get in their lane. Right. Let's just fight the power from our respective strong points. Because some of us are not as good at some things as others. Now, I'm not saying that artists should be absolved of having a clear critique. And that's what you're talking about. You're mm-hmm. like, where are the voices? Mm-hmm. Why aren't more... Where, where are the effective voices? Because well, certain people could say certain things and influence a whole generation, of, several generations of troops. Well, to me, anyone speaking the truth is effective in right. some respect. Right. You know, I mean... Mass isn't always the only way to be effective. You can be effective one-on-one. You can be somebody who transforms the heart of someone else who has a wide audience. Mm -hmm. Current cover Mm -hmm. of Ebony, The Body Brigade. Yeah. I love that cover. Me too. And I I suspect a lot of brothers love that Mm -hmm. cover. Yes, I do too. What was but it? we didn't make it for y'all. You, you didn't make it for us? No, we oh, didn't. Oh, but, but we thanking y'all. Yes, you are. I saw that come. <laughs> yes, I was like, God are. damn, thank you, Kenna. Yes, you are. What? Yes, you are. By and large. I'm seeing so many like googly eye emojis. <laughs> oh, <like>. my <laughs> God. I love like, but, I mean, it's, it's, it. But we, again, it's important to say that we didn't make it for y'all because this is the women's issue. And I appreciate this is that. Our women I appreciate that you said that. Well, it's the truth. Right. I knew that it would speak to you mm-hmm. all because just like the men's issue spoke to the sisters. Right. 
And to say that we are connected is an understatement. And to say that Ebony has kind of consistently been able to talk to black men and black women Mm -hmm. is what makes it special. Yes. Nonetheless, this is the women's issue. And we were thinking about what we needed to do for women. Right. That's what we were thinking about. So it's a wonderful byproduct that all the brothers are open. And we always need men to subscribe to Ebony and to Mm -hmm. click on Mm -hmm. Mm ebony.com and to go to the newsstand. Um, But what we were trying to do was create a very healthy and empowered space for sisters. And this was just one way, one of many ideas that we had and one way to do it. It just, we just knew it was right. And we shot it before formation. We saw formation. We shot it before, because there have been some, people have kind of compared it to moments. Sports Illustrated had their plus size moment Mm -hmm. recently. Yes. But we actually physically shot ours before we saw these things. But it does speak to the fact that we're kind of tapped in. You're in rhythm. You're in rhythm. We're in rhythm. Um, Are we seeing a shift with regard to body images, particularly for women? Um, I think so, yes. And I think a lot of it is because of some of the very women that are on my cover right now. I mean, we have healthier Barbies right now. Like the actual Barbie dolls. actual Barbies are. So when you say healthier, there's a lot of pushback around that language because people associate plus size, really anything over a size 12 for women as being unhealthy. Unhealthy, right. Sometimes that is the case. Sometimes that is not the case. Just like sometimes it is the case that a slim woman is healthy Mm -hmm. and sometimes it is not the case. So that does need to be stated because the the stereotype is unfair in some ways. Now that said, we know that medically speaking, obesity creates disease, Mm -hmm. which creates death. Mm -hmm. It happens and it affects our communities. But black women feel good about themselves, you know. And where they don't feel good about themselves, they try really hard to push through anyway. Mm -hmm. And so to rob women who look like the women on our cover of being seen is ridiculous. Mm. They're fly. They're sexy. They're beautiful. They're they're all women. So So what's not to... Maybe it's even less revolutionary than I think the world is seeing it. It's just like these are important, gorgeous sexual women too mm-hmm. and you know it's almost like that what's next for you in terms of ebony and how we roll out i'm just i have big dreams i i am only hoping that the company in itself um maintains a sure footing you know it's tough out here for magazines mm-hmm. it's not an easy it's a tough road. time it's a tough time for any publishing house so mm-hmm. you have to have tentacles so my hope is that the tentacles of Ebony um, grow deeper and start to touch you, that our content starts to reach you in other places, and that like if you're a Combat Jack listener, that there's some place where we intersect with you as Ebony. That's my hope for us. Mm-hmm. Because you know if you don't pick up magazines and you don't happen to see what we're doing, you'd be missing a good thing. Last question. Top five magazines. Mm. <laughs> Farrell Munch. Oh, you said magazine. Magazine. Um, <laughs> we could do. We could do that too. Bonus. Harper's Bazaar. Mm. Good. Esquire. Mm. And I have to. 
in fits and starts with both of these publications, the, but they're both a hundred years old or something right. crazy. And there's this, there's periods that. when they fall off and they come back, but but yes. still. So, but I'm just talking about because I appreciate magazine history. Mm-hmm. So these are magazines where you can get lost in their archives. Right, right. You can watch style evolve from the 30s. You mm-hmm. can look at and just you know also magazines, especially old magazines, were mm-hmm. very literary. Right. So if you're a words person like I am. The Esquires and the Harper's Bazaar, the magazines that have those older histories do kind of speak to you. And I appreciate their ability to evolve. Right. They change on themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's about. So um, that's, that's two. That's two. I love V Magazine, mm-hmm. which is a fashion magazine. Mm-hmm. Um. I love Essence magazine mm-hmm. because it made me. Mm-hmm. And I love Ebony mm-hmm. because Ebony is 70 years old wow. and has not stopped publishing. Mm. And that is a feat. Throughout all the adversities that a black owned publication and has. And throughout said. all of the changes of black life in America. Mm. So to be a witness for that long, that's like you talk about. Like our archives, I think only Life Magazine's archives might rival. Like what you'll never, ever, you talk about those moments that happen in early source history Mm -hmm. as being so iconic and singular and never to be duplicated. You have no idea Mm. the majesty. So I'm very proud to be where I am today. And I do feel like it's very full circle. And maybe I was supposed to be at the space that is speaking to both black men and black women because I'm a mother of sons. Mm. So I didn't see that for myself either right. when I was doing Honey. I knew I was having daughters. I made girls girl. Right, 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 right. You know, and I'm charged with be- making a magazine that speaks to you too. Mm-hmm. Kenna, so you, you've made the two hour mark. Let's wrap. Right? This, this, wow. is, this has been amazing. This has been amazing. How you feel? I feel like this was good therapy. Good. Good. And that's what it's supposed to be. You said it would be. This is what it's supposed to be. I really, you I've know, never, ever done this. Right. Ever. And you know what? You ever. Won't, you won't ever do it like this and again. And I won't. I, you, oh, <laughs> what? You could put your money on it. What? Yo. It'll never happen again. What? Her top five MCs. She's about to say. Oh, you want to go there again? Okay. I mean, you top, might as well. You might as well. You, you open Being the, that she started you open the door. You open, Did I? Yes, you open up the door. Because I said March. Farrell March is number one. Not number one. Now, no, no, I'm, I'm saying, not number, I'm saying, no, 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 we're not saying that. number one. But I'm saying the first, first person. Def- first okay. Let me qualify the first person you said. I'm not mad at Munch. Pasta news. Pasta. Woo! Good. It, man. Damn. Yeah. Rock him. Because mm. top five, like I'm trying to synthesize, like my brain is on generations. It's generational. Because <laughs> like. When you had crushes on like the Chub Rock styles of the world, you mm-hmm. can't go there because that's not top five. But it ranks in like when I go back mm-hmm. and think about moments that spoke mm-hmm. to me. Um, Two more. The Notorious B.I.G. Of course. Which is hard after two albums. And maybe I'm biased because I was so close to it. Mm. So close to Big. So just close to a, just a witness right the time right and yes big like yes and and what i've learned mm-hmm. what i've learned mm-hmm. being being a brooklyn rap fan a lifelong mm-hmm. brooklyn it's okay 
to be partial to Brooklyn yeah, MCs. Yeah, okay. It's all okay. Right. I tell okay. niggas all the time. Because I'm like. I'm so partial to Brooklyn okay, MCs. Okay, I am. So just, let's just state that. Yeah, okay. yeah. Because then I don't have to throw everybody else yeah, in there. Yeah, yeah, Um, Number five. Not, not, oh, not in any order, but. It's just that number five just forces me to squeeze out. You got to squeeze out so many generations. But you know, I mean, we, we, we are in the top five age. Farrell Munch, Paz, Rakim, Biggie. Talib Kweli. Woo! Talib made the top five. Yo, Talib, what up, my nigga? (laughs) Yo, Kiana, this has been such a joy and it's such an honor. And and, and seeing you from the beginning of your career to now, like I said, it is genuine pride. Um, I wish you only the best. And feel free, for whatever reason, to come back to the Combat Jack show. I feel very honored. Thank you. And I feel very cool. Thank you. You are so cool right now, <laughs> Kenna. Yo, King. Yo. Women's History Month. No more do say, man. Why not? No. Was I slurring or you? No, you were no, sleeping. I, yeah, no, I saw. I, I saw you Duce sleeping. Had me out. Yeah, do say and what else, and my extra dude? Extracurricular. Listen, nah. Listen, this thank is you, dope, man. This King, is dope. thank you again, man, for for your continued support, man. Um, for sure. I appreciate you, Internet. So you know what this is, man. Dream those dreams and then woman up and live those dreams because a life without dreams is black and white. And the universe flows in technicolor and surround sound. Internets, finally. Shout out to The Mid-Roll, the company that helps me get great ads for great companies like Viceland TV and Squarespace. Your company can be a winner, too, just by advertising on my podcast, The Combat Jack Show. And podcast ads work. 61% of Mid-Roll podcast listeners bought a product they heard about on a podcast. Check out their website at midroll.com slash combat and then click contact, C-O-N-T-A-C-T, to let them know you're interested in advertising on the Combat Jack Show. They also represent a bunch of other great shows like The Read and The Brilliant Idiots. That's midroll.com slash combat, M-I-D-R-O-L-L dot com slash combat. Numenati! This episode of the Combat Jack Show was produced by Jonathan Menna, executive produced by A. King and Chris Morrow, engineered by Samir Karan and recorded in the Engine Room Audio Studio in downtown Manhattan. This is an official Loudspeakers Network's production. Yeah, I'm just going to let you know that um, I love your show. I've been a fan since day one, ever since somebody uh, put me on to um, podcast, period. Anyway, I just wanted to thought, I thought, uh, I'm tongue-tied. That's crazy, right? Anyway, I just thought I'd make some some suggestions as far as guest-wise. I was wondering if you could um if you can buster up Dougie Fresh, that would be great because you really get Dougie Fresh in the interview in terms of his career, uh because of his career and from from the early seventies up till now you really get a Dougie Fresh interview, and um, also I know I've, I've never seen a Bismarck interview, I've never seen anybody really sit down and talk to Bismarck. I Maybe mean, he doesn't even conduct interviews, but that's one of that's one of my suggestions. Um, uh, I have a comment too. Um, I, a long time ago, I listened to a, read an interview with EPMD, and um, it was up for a minute. But then um, that was before you made these changes to your um, your website. Well, anyway, I, I was never. I was wondering whatever happened to that interview with EPMD. Again, God bless you and keep doing what you do. I love your podcast. You're one of the best ones out there. Besides, um, I don't know. I, there's really nobody I listen to. Except me, though, the IT got one out too. But he's in, he's in competition with you dudes. 
and, and, and Juan Epstein. But in terms of the best podcast show ever, uh, yo, I'm, I, I'm on your dick, son. Well, anyway, uh, pause, 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 very, a very big pause. Anyway, um, keep doing what you do. Out.